Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the virus poll. Does it trump your freedom? Author Dr. Everett Piper joins me to talk about the coronavirus and liberty and vote no on a blue state bailout. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Back in my studio, isn't this great? We're uh, in Texas, we're slowly moving past the shutdown. Great to be back in my studio. And I do the first five prepared I want to tell you about, but there's two little bits of news I wanna drop because I learned both of them on the way here. One is that Vice President Pence has announced that the White House is actually in conversations about shutting down the coronavirus special group panel, whatever it's called, the coronavirus uh, group that he's heading up. This is a signal that the White House, in my opinion, is going to begin backstepping away from being in charge of our country's reaction to the coronavirus and letting the authority go back to the states where it should be anyway to deal with the fallout of the crisis. So Vice President Pence announced they're beginning talking about abandoning or disbanding the coronavirus committee. Second one, just a little bit of amazingly interesting news, but do you remember we've been talking about how the whole reaction to the coronavirus threat, which is a serious threat, but the whole reaction in America, the massive shutdown of America was based on a series of models. One of the most significant models came from England, came from Dr. Neil Ferguson in England, who had early on this coronavirus crisis put together models projecting within America, for example, 1.5, between 1.5 and 2.2 million deaths, you know, just millions and millions of cases of infection. And his models were used by America and people around the world to instigate or encourage this massive reaction we did as a country, this massive shutdown. And as, as you all know, because we talked about in the show, that those models were just grotesquely, outrageously exaggerated. They were, you know, they were false. They were very, very wrong. Well, the news just came out just a little while ago that Dr. Ferguson has been forced to step down. He no longer is going to be with, and we get the correct name of his, uh, what, the, the institution in England that he was with, with of the um, London, the Imperial College of London. He had to step down today, and of all the just ironic reasons, he had to step down for violating the quarantine that went in place because of his models, and he violated the quarantine to sneak out and meet with his married lover. So Dr. Neil Ferguson out and frankly kind of out in a most, uh, coincidentally isn't even a good enough word, kind of a little bit of uh, community justice or something, breaking the quarantine, loses his job. But what I really want to do today is first five, very quickly before we have Dr. Everett Piper join us, is talk about a poll that was done. And I'm wanting to talk about it, not because the necessarily the results of the poll that I feel sure are accurate, but more about what it says about how America is handling our coronavirus policy going forward. So the uh, Washington Post and University of Maryland did a poll in which they discovered a whopping, this is a whopping number, 82% of Americans oppose, this is about how do you want America to reopen? How quickly are we doing it too quickly? 82% of Americans say they're opposed to opening movie theaters. 78% are opposed to staying, uh, opening gyms. 74% say restaurants should not be open. So it's polling saying what Americans think about whether or not the governors in the various states should reopen their economies. And the reason I want to talk about it is this. We've been dealing with this coronavirus as a, obviously as a huge health challenge, a strain on the medical system, challenges getting needed supplies to hospitals and doctors but it has become a political issue. It has become an issue related to freedom, to the God-given freedom we've all agreed we have simply because we were born, that is recounted in our Declaration of Independence, God-given rights that we each have. This coronavirus policy has become in our country a direct affront to the guarantee of liberty. And so therefore, 
when I do polls like this, the Washington Post has a poll like this, what they're doing is signaling or validating to elected officials, don't worry, continue the shutdown, America's right with you. They did not do this poll out of idle curiosity. It is intended to be used for encouraging elected officials around this country to continue the lockdowns they are engaged in, to continue the crushing of the personal liberty guaranteed to us in the Constitution. It is like they polled America saying, you know, how many, what percentage of you think that people should be allowed to go to a particular church? What percentage of Americans do you think should be allowed to pursue this kind of medical care versus that kind of medical care? What percentage of Americans do you think people, uh, should, people should be allowed to express this kind of freedom? It's a poll asking people whether the government should continue to shut down constitutional freedom. It doesn't matter if 100% of the people answered and said, never reopen America again. Other people's opinions are irrelevant to the idea that we have a constitutional right to freedom and that we insist as Americans that we have that right that includes to run our businesses, to move about freely, to live in freedom in this country. The idea the poll was even conducted is, I think, a message from the leftists. They're looking for validation. They're looking to get messages to elected officials. Hey, don't worry. America's right with you. It doesn't matter how many people think America should continue our shutdown for another week, a month, a year, whatever it is. It's an irrelevant poll. If you substitute in other freedoms we agree we have, it's particularly irrelevant. And one last thing, we're going to talk more about this in today's show and in upcoming shows. But what has happened in this coronavirus scare is that the original numbers came out that were very alarming and part and parcel of the entire package, the way we chose to respond as a country, the advice given by, to President Trump by the doctors who are advising him was a whole package deal based on fear, based on completely inaccurate data and then based on implanting fear in people's minds that this is a, a, you know, the Andromeda strain, this is going to kill us all. And so you have Americans, the reason they're giving those answers to Pulse is because they're really, really afraid. But this is what, why it's so important for Americans to begin to understand more of the data available now showing that it wasn't nearly, this virus wasn't nearly as lethal as everybody thought, number one. Number two, that the entire course we chose to, in reaction to it, was really a course that put us in the path of not having enough Americans get out, get exposed to the virus as humans do, uh, viruses of all kinds, work through it, be done. But the other thing, and this is my last point in this first five, is this. The policy we created in Washington that we've been following and that state governments and local officials, everything they do flows from what Washington said. It had a false notion underlying all of it, which was that somehow, if you just follow the instructions of the government, of your governor, of your mayor, of your county judge, you can be safe. That somehow safety is guaranteeing your complete and personal safety is the job of the government, which it is not. It's also the message that there's a way to get to safety. And so the fact that you hear more doctors saying, actually, the virus is everywhere. You can't really guarantee safety. I'll tell you a quick little story in Dallas to make this point. In the city of Dallas or outside the city of Dallas, there is a Catholic school and it's, a, it's attached to a, um, a monastery. So there are Catholic monks here in this Dallas area who do occasionally get out to teach classes, but they literally live in the monastery. They have no connection with the outside world. Nine monks at this Irving monastery tested positive for COVID-19. You can't even avoid it if you stay home like monks stay home. I am just closing this first five by saying we had a very false notion sold to America that somehow following every single protocol that the government thought of would keep us safe. And there simply is no way to do that here on this planet Earth. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. He's with us frequently, which is wonderful, Dr. Everett Piper. He is, as many of you recognize the name, I'm sure, he's the gentleman who was president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and wrote the famous, This Is Not a Daycare, Message to Campus First, and then Book. And now he, ha he is retired from that job as a president of the university. He's a columnist for the Washington Times, a very, very popular public speaker 
who talks a lot about the ideas of American liberty, the founding of our country, what it means to hold on to those today, especially our religious freedom. His columns in Washington Times are just simply, they're, they're wonderful and fun and great to read. So I believe we have Dr. Everett Piper online. Hi, Dr. Piper. Hi, Debbie, how are you? I'm well, and I'm happy to see you. Glad you could join us. So uh, you have some great columns out recently. And, um, you know, I just want to, before I launch into each of them, I was talking in my first five about the idea that we first responded to the coronavirus as a, a, a medical problem, a healthcare problem, and a need to get adequate supplies and all that to our healthcare system. But it seems to have changed and be more of a political issue in America, political assault on individual liberty. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on that, if you agree with that. Well, well absolutely. absolutely. Um, I've, I've argued, argued for, for the last month or so. Let me, Let me be clear. clear. I'm, I'm not a COVID This is real. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we, are we going to sacrifice freedom from them that's promised to us by the Constitution for, for the sake of safety? Or, or elevate liberty as one, one of the first things that the United States stands for and, and has predicated what it means to be a human being? Last I knew, we didn't have a statue of safety standing on our eastern shores. We had a statue of liberty. So what is the first thing for the American people? What is the predicate for being a human being? What is the unnecessary defining character of the Imago Dei, the image of God? What does it mean to be an American citizen? I think the answer to all of those things is that we are free, that we enjoy liberty. And if ever liberty and freedom are taken from us, that we are less for it in terms of our human identity and dignity, and we are also less as a nation. You could argue, Debbie, that the Soviet Union enjoyed safety that the citizens of the Soviet Union were safe, but they didn't enjoy liberty. They didn't enjoy freedom. I can go to Cuba and be safe if I want. I can go to Venezuela and be safe if I want. I can go to, uh, to Red China and be safe if I want, but in none of those countries am I going to be free. We need to ask ourselves our question, uh, this basic question during this election season. What is our first thing? What is our highest good? Back to freshman level philosophy. What is our summum bonum? The greatest good that we hold for ourselves as a people. Is it safety or is it freedom? The Constitution does not promise us safety. It promises us life and liberty and the pursuit of purpose, happiness. It does not guarantee that we'll be safe because human existence is not a safe thing. You know, a few years ago, I wrote my letter this is not a daycare, it's a university. I feel like writing another one. This is not a daycare, it's the United States. Yes, I, I love all the contrast you're making. And I just think it's an interesting thing to watch the shift in public thought, because I even see conservatives who I think, generally speaking, would agree with us with respect to the importance of Christian faith and the founding ideas of America. But we've been caught up in this kind of pandemic of fear that you hear people who are generally speaking conservative saying, well, you know, yeah, I, I, um, I believe in liberty and all that, but I really want the government to keep this shut down and to stop other people from doing this. We have been wrapped up in this fear of the virus to the point we're not recognizing we're surrendering liberty. We don't see it as that yet. And that is the big page turn that has to happen in this country. Well, and it's happening all across the country, not just in New York City, not just in San Francisco or Chicago, but even here in Oklahoma, the reddest of the red states, a state that hasn't had one county vote blue in the last four successive presidential elections. I have a mayor about an hour northeast of me in Venita, Oklahoma. His name is Chuck Hoskin, who has issued a municipal order to the people in Venita, Oklahoma, that they cannot go fishing alone. They cannot go hunting alone. They cannot go golfing alone. They can't get in the car and drive by grandma's house and shout out the window of the car, happy birthday to grandma. This mayor, a Democrat, who's elected and he has a hunger for power, it's the proof that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is the proof of Lord Act Acton's axiom 
that when you get a little bit of power, the human spirit craves it and wants to control other people. What business is it of any mayor, whether it's in New York City or in Veneta, Oklahoma, to tell people they can't get in their pickup and go fishing alone? How am I endangering anybody by doing so? But yet we've got mayors, even in Oklahoma, um, running down this path of a power trip and trying to control other people. It is time for some civil dis disobedience for us to stand up and say no. I, I, I am a thousand percent with you. I was going to get to that story, but since you're on it, so many examples you see around the country where the all of the, all under the guise of under the rubric of we're going to keep you safe. Our job is to keep you safe. Every presumption you have of liberty, the idea, of course, you're allowed to go fishing if you want to go fishing. Of course, you're allowed to go by where grandma lives and wave. Of course, you're, this whole presumption is being shifted by the the goal to protect people. And what I'm, I'm troubled by, and I'm getting back, I'm troubled by how many people seem to say, but yeah, but but there's an emergency in, in place. And so, I mean, these poll, I don't know if you're in my first five I was talking about today in this show, where you had majorities of people saying, well, I don't think the government should let movie theaters open. What happened to the idea that you say, you know what, if you're afraid of a movie theater, don't go. If you if you're afraid of a restaurant, don't go. Let free people do what they want. Let restaurant owners make their decisions. Let movie theaters. But we just I, I am shocked and kind of alarmed by how much we have. If that poll is accurate, which who knows is Washington Post, but that people are just willing to sacrifice the liberty of deciding not just for themselves but for everybody whether they can go to the grocery store or to the movie theater. Well, I, I, I did hear your poll as you started with your first five, and I'm stunned by it, and I'm alarmed by it, too. If it's true, I would argue the only reason it's true is because the American people have, have bought the lie. They have agreed with information that is not true, and they're making decisions based on inaccurate information. Uh, it's so hopefully, as you and others start educating the American people, the public, as to what the facts really are, the American people will recognize that they've been lied to and that our freedoms are being stolen on, on, on the basis of a ruse, that the data wasn't real, that this was, um, that the, the disease is real, but the response perhaps is a hoax, and that we need to respond to that and say, no, you can't take away my economic liberty. You can't take away my very viability. You can't, can't take away my business. You can't take away my freedom to assemble. You can't take away my religious freedom. You can't take those things away just because you're declaring that the, there's a disease. What are we going to do every year when we have the flu? Are we going to give away our freedoms because we're worried about somebody getting ill and the fact that some people will die? I've got news for people. We don't live in a perfect world. People do die. There are crises. And we need to be prepared to act like free human beings within the nature of that. I'm going to paraphrase from Ronald Reagan's 1964 um, rendezvous with destiny speech. He told us, he told us then, it's so prescient then and it's so, for, for, so prophetic for, for today. Ronald Reagan told us in 1964 that if you're willing to give up your your freedom for security, and I'm going to paraphrase it and say safety. If you're willing to give up your freedom for safety, be prepared for a master because you deserve one. Be prepared for a master because you deserve one if you're willing to give up your freedom for safety. I love that. I love, in fact, one of the columns that you, uh, I mentioned from Washington Times is calling Freedom Hangs in the Balance During This Election Season. I love that it went into great detail in Reagan's speech. And I do, I agree with you. I, I am, I'm bothered by the kind of poll I mentioned, but I do think that spirit of freedom and, and just kind of standing up saying, wait a minute, we're Americans. We don't live like this. I think it is on the rise. I, I think it's a great thing. Uh, and so, and, and Reagan's speech, everything he had to say was just so, as you say, prescient or pr prophetic for where we are now in this country. I'm so grateful for that. But you, you're also, I want to mention something else you wrote about is that there are Christians who are arguing, look, you know, we're good people and we love our freedom and all that, but the government's saying we can't go outside. And they, you had a quote, uh, the, the uh, retort you get from some people who are simply defending people taking away freedom. The Bible says we're to obey our government, to submit to every ordinance of man and be subject to the governing, governing authorities. So how, what is your answer, Dr. Everett Piper? Why don't we just all stay at home until the government says we're allowed to go outside again? 
Well, Debbie, one of my greatest frustrations is the, the evangelical community and its pastors and other leaders, headquarters leaders and whatnot, that are simply, excuse me, essentially shaming their brothers and sisters in Christ who are fighting for freedom. They're trying to shame us into being quiet. They're suggesting that you, because you're questioning the data and doing your radio broadcast, are killing grammar, and that you're insensitive to those that are suffering and who are ill. I'm tired of that, and here's why. Yes, in Romans 13, we, the Apostle Paul does, us, does tell us to honor the government. Likewise, Peter says so in 1 Peter. We're told by both Peter and Paul to honor the government because a sovereign God puts the government in place over us for civility and to govern the affairs of, of um, basically to control the evil nature of the human heart. Okay, great. I agree with that. I'm a biblical inerrantist. I believe I should honor that. However, I'm responsible for reading the Bible as a whole, for taking into consideration the entire narrative and not just proof texting and cherry picking my verses to make my political point. If I believe I'm supposed to honor the government and bow every time Caesar says a bow, bow, then I need to take the story of Moses and the Exodus out of the Bible. I need to take the story of Gideon and Deborah and Samson out of the Bible. And frankly, I also need to take the story of Paul and Peter out of the Bible because they spent a lot of time in jail because they did what? They defied the government. My land, there are obviously times all over Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, where the patriarchs of our faith defied the government that was guilty of overreach and oppressing the human spirit and human freedom and religious liberty. You have to read the Bible in its entirety and not cherry-pick your verses. To my, so to my evangelical pastor friends who are saying, be quiet and bow at the altar of government, hogwash. That is not the nature of Scripture. And I'm not going to take the story of Moses and chuck it because Moses defied Pharaoh and, frankly, Paul defied Nero. So we need to take the entire narrative of Scripture in context and stop, and stop cherry-picking. That is such a great answer. Honest to goodness, I want to make sure people listening to that is such a great answer because I do think law-abiding people generally do not want to disobey anything the government says, but was your, that was just so eloquent and so perfect. Another scriptural argument you do hear from some people is, well, we've been told that this virus is very dangerous and very contagious and so isn't part of loving your neighbor. In fact, I got chewed out on Facebook by somebody on this point, which isn't the idea of loving your neighbor, doesn't include trying to protect them. And so if grandma is susceptible, even though she doesn't live with you, she lives in the retirement home somewhere in your community, you know, that idea that she's susceptible and, and perhaps vulnerable, that you need to stay home to protect her. And that is your duty because you're supposed to love your neighbor. But that's based on letting the facts that have, or letting the beliefs that were put out there that's not not to be factual drive your answer but what's your answer to that i'm sure you address that well, why don't we love our neighbor and everybody stay home till further notice again the people that are using this argument are mixing their moral categories i am responsible for staying away from my grandma if i'm sick if i'm ill if i have the normal flu or if i have covid 19 or if i have any other uh if i have a cold I'm going to stay away from my grandmother because I don't want my grandma to get my cold. That doesn't mean I, that I have to quarantine myself and, 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 uh, and stop running my business. It doesn't mean I can't go for a jog. It doesn't mean I can't play golf. It doesn't mean I can't go fishing. It doesn't mean I can't go hunting. It doesn't mean I can't go out to lunch with you or anybody else. It means that I'm obligated to show proper courtesy and be polite and not expose my grandma to my disease. We're mixing these categories as if if I don't stand for an entire quarantine of the American people, then somehow I'm guilty of being insensitive to my grandma's health. That's lunacy. That's nonsense. We need to have some common sense rather than functioning in this twilight zone of mixing moral categories and mixing logic uh, and illogic together. So well said, and that yeah, I like your term too about cherry picking the scriptures. That is something you see, you see so often, and oftentimes you feel you can't get an answer out. Someone's well it says this, and you're supposed to do that, and to give the kind of eloquent answer you did, informed, detailed, it takes time, but it is the right answer. What you're saying is true. You can't narrowly cherry pick the Bible's passages and say, and therefore, because you can find a Bible passage probably back 
almost any position you want to take if you can just cherry pick. But I want to turn one more thing because I don't want to run out of time with you. So what do you think about what churches should do right now? Some churches in America are still under orders that they uh, cannot hold in-person services um, or that they have to hold them socially distanced. Do you th- what do you think the role of the, the leaders of churches should be? Should they be defiant in opening churches when they're not supposed to? I don't think the government has the church has the business telling the church to do anything. Point number one. Point number two. I do think the church has the obligation of being sensitive to culture. And if eating meat offends my brother, then I won't eat meat. Well, if not social distancing offends my brother, then maybe I ought to social distance. But that doesn't mean I shut down my church. That doesn't mean I stop conducting services. That means I'm going to hold myself to the same standard as Walmart and and McDonald's. And if I can go to the drive-through window at McDonald's and order a burger, then I ought to be able to go to the drive-in church and read my Bible. I don't think the church should accept any restrictions that are greater and more severe than McDonald's or Walmart. And those pastors that are accepting religious bigotry, which imposes greater restrictions on them than these industries, should stand up and say, no, I will not succumb to that. We're going to have service. We're going to be polite. We're going to social distance. We're going to make sure we've got disinfectant and hand sanitizer. And we'll even hand out masks. And we'll have smaller services rather than larger. But we are not going to allow the government to tell us what to do. That's what I think the church's response should be. I love it. I also love there was a signal from in Washington, a signal from Attorney General Barr. He's watching very closely the kinds of limitations on our constitutionally guaranteed freedoms that states and local counties and mayors are imposing on on individual liberty. So I I love that. I'm hoping to hear him step up and and read even stronger and saying uh, what kinds of things we cannot uh, can and cannot be tolerated in this country because it's a it's an astonishingly alarming time to think where I I think last time you're on the show I mentioned this too but in January of this year seems like a lifetime ago you if you had chosen a day in January and everything seemed great and economy is humming along and unemployment numbers look fabulous and and jobs are coming back and someone could have forecast where we are today you're thinking what in the world could have happened to America to get us where we are. So I just, uh, and yet here we are. So I love your vigor and your um, just determination to speak up and talk about we, that this, at this election season, this year, liberty's on the ballot. And I want to give you a chance to close with your kind of thoughts about the the overall American response to the virus. Um, And then before I do that quickly, your website, so people can read more about you is Dr. Everett Piper, is it .com? Yes, D-E-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R.com. And you're also on Twitter at D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-Piper. So kind of a closing thought for the Christian response to where we are in the coronavirus and the, and the threats to our liberty that we're all watching happen around this country. We need to decide. Do we believe in Patrick Henry's words, give me liberty or give me death? Or are we, have we become a people that basically has turned it on its head and said, I, I'm afraid of death, so take my liberty. What is our first thing? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He didn't say the truth shall make you safe. What do we hold dear? Safety or freedom as a nation and as the body of Christ. C.S. Lewis told us that the great lion Aslan was good, but not safe. What do you want as an American people? goodness or do you want safety because you may not get both very well said dr piper so good to see you thank you for joining me today at america can we talk blessings blessings to you sir Honest to goodness, what a great thinker. So grateful for a guy like that who just puts his heart and his thought out there every week. I urge you to read his columns on Washington Times. And uh, he's just, as you can uh, hear, very eloquent in putting together uh, the facts of today. And and with the, especially right now, our response to coronavirus and the threat it poses to America and putting them in historical context, uh, context of our, our country's history, of Christian uh, beliefs, because I think that there's, a, there's so much contortion happening in America today, so much contortion of the right idea of liberty and the right idea of, of what a country is, what it means to be a devout Christian. And you hear, as he was talking about, you hear Christians being told, well, if you're following scriptures, you have to do what the government's saying.
If you're following scripture or you have to love your neighbors, you have to stay home. It takes deeper thinkers. It takes people who are willing to put the whole of scripture into context to give the really what I think are profound answers he's offering. So I'm so grateful Dr. Piper could join us. One last topic I want to hit today. This is just an amazing thing going on. And I want to, you're going to hear this expression, no blue state bailout. I put in no blue state virus bailout, but I want to make something clear. And by, by the way, we're going to talk tomorrow on the show with Congressman Chip Roy, who is among many things he's been talking about in this coronavirus crisis era. He's been talking about the federal spending and whether or not we ought to be bailing out the states. Uh, So I want to just break down some pieces of that to make something clear. One challenge we already have, as you know, we've had bills out of Congress. We have just been forking out money like a drunken sailor all over this country, Democrats sticking in the the, uh, coronavirus relief packages, things like money. Everyone points out the money that went to the uh, Kennedy Center, but all sorts of places. We have been spending money like crazy. There's another bill pending. They're going to again be bailing out more people. But a really unique and important issue is whether or not the federal government should be on the hook, should respond to the states that are asking the state themselves saying they need a bailout from the government. They need the federal government to give their states bailouts. One piece to keep in mind is that many blue states in this country, Democrat controlled states, you know, spend like drunken sailors all the time. They have pension funds that are meaning they had state workers who put their time in, who worked and either are still working or are retired who are owed money out of their pension funds. And the pension funds simply are insufficient. This has nothing to do with coronavirus. Long before the virus came along, you had pension funds that simply could not meet the obligation the state had made to individual workers. So you had, they call them unfunded liabilities of these pensions. So we had the big, you know, the typical big blue states. We had the largest unfunded liabilities in California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York. So these states are saying, now that we're all in this really big financial crisis because of the uh, coronavirus, we need to have a federal government bailout and the big states are asking for big money to be bailed out, sent to them from the federal government as a bailout. And they're using it for, and talking about, you know, we, we have these huge problems, we have big budget problems. So where we are, and that, before I get to what my argument about this, for all 50 states, all tallied together, 50 states, we have nearly $5 trillion, trillion dollars in unfunded pension liability for government employees. The bulk of that is in big blue states. So the question is, as we're beginning to make any uh, decision, any thought about whether or not we're going to have federal government, the federal government, bail out unfunded pension liabilities in the states, we have to keep in mind the federal government is also broke. They don't really have any money. It's, it's, it's silly to claim they have money. They are, you know, our federal government is in debt. We have a huge deficit every year. We have a debt. We just added to our debt. They don't really have money to be doling out as though they have it tucked in some savings account. But with respect to the unfunded liabilities, some states, for for pension funds, some states are saying, you know, we might actually run out of money. We might actually go broke. One idea being floated in Washington is, okay, state of New York, go ahead, go into bankruptcy. Let the state itself go into bankruptcy because once you go in bankruptcy, supposedly, all your debts are sorted out. And, but it's also true that when you go in bankruptcy and the debts are sorted out, that the state has debts to various things, in some of the pension funds, there's a provision that says, even if this state happens to go into bankruptcy, no pension liability can be touched. So here's our dilemma. How, number one, if at all, should the federal government be helping the states with unfunded pension liability? My answer is zero, zip, zero, nada. There's no way to stop the behavior of leftist blue state governors and officials 
if you simply bail them out. They will continue to create unfunded liabilities. They will continue to build pension fund liabilities because in the back of their head it's okay, well eventually, we, if we don't have the money, the government's going to have to step in. The federal government's gonna help us out. We have to break that pattern. We as a country, our whole country, we have to break that pattern of states continuing to make liability, create liability for the state to unfunded pension liability to for people. I'll give you just one example of how extreme it is. They have committed, the, some of these states have committed, handing out massive pension benefits that in some cases pay $100,000 more or more per year to former government workers than, than, than is paid by contrast for similar workers in the private sector. So we have pension liability is one issue and the coronavirus, you know, forget about that for a minute, just the pension liability, I think it's time for this country facing just massive, calamitous, ridiculous uh, crushing of our economy, money because of the shutdown, money coming from Washington is just funny money. You might as well just break out the monopoly game. It doesn't, we, we, we're just printing money that has no actual economic meaning, fiscal meaning. But it probably is time for the federal government to say, you know what, states, you're going to have to deal with this yourself. So moving forward, you're going to have to radically change the pension deals you cut with the government unions. That's your problem. That's on you. And for where we are right now, you states, you're going to have to sort it out. So maybe you're going to have cut funding, cut funding for other things, cut spending in other areas. Maybe you're going to have to go to your citizens and say, hey, citizens, who, by the way, citizens' taxes already paid the government employees. The citizens' taxes are, are going to be used to pay the pension fund liability. So for the government of those states to have to say, you know what, at the end of the day, we have to solve this. So we're going to have to ask everyone to take a little break, to take a little cut, to be part of solving this. This is part of what needs to happen in those states instead of the federal government bailing them out. But now turn talking about the coronavirus. Because the coronavirus resulted in the national shutdown, you have cities, towns, counties, states, municipalities of all kinds with drastically reduced funds available because of the shutdown, because nobody's shopping, nobody's paying sales tax, nobody's getting a paycheck, no one's, no one's spending money. Our, spend, our national spending is way down. So all those entities that survive by collecting taxes are going to have less money. And the states who continue to be more egregious, more on the shutdown, pushing the shutdown to stay longer, saying not permitting what we, we used to think of or just the basic right to run a business like a nail salon, a hair salon, a restaurant, whatever your business was, that used to be assumed to be your right as a free citizen, that right has been taken away by the states. The states need to own, they need to take responsibility for the fact they shut the businesses down, they have less tax revenue, they have to cut spending. There is no reason the federal government should agree to be on the hook for the damage done to the states in terms of reduced tax income because of the shutdowns, especially in the blue states where the shutdowns have become more and more egregious, there's the blue states pushing them longer. California is on lockdown, so I don't know when. Those states cannot be thinking, it's okay we're shut down, it's okay we're not collecting tax revenue because at the end of the day, the federal government's gonna bail us out. They need to be thinking it's gonna all be on them. It's gonna all be on Governor Newsom going to all be on the governors in all of these states, including my state, the great state of Texas, Governor Abbott. We are on far too egregious and far too extended lockdown in this state. But there has to be a sense of personal responsibility of the states to say, we got to deal with the mess we're creating. In fact, the states are more likely to give in to the pressure to reopen if they recognize there ain't no money coming from Uncle Sam. This would be a great 
incentive for all of these local officials so happily you know, manipulating the power available to them and becoming little tyrants happening all over this country, it would be a wonderful thing if those people realize, you know what, actually, we're going to have to open up because we can't function. What the private sector, what the protesters have been telling them is you need to open back up. When you have states and other local governments thinking in the back of their mind, we can keep the shutdown rolling because Uncle Sam will help us out. They don't have the incentive they need to have to reopen the economy. If they realize there's no help coming from Washington, they got people who want to work, then it's an entirely different equation for them to say, we're going to have to let things open up. I want to, um, I, even President Trump, by the way, uh, went ahead and talked about the idea that uh, the blue state coronavi coronavirus bailouts are unfair to Republicans. Um, it really is true. The blue state bailouts that we may be doing, we're talking about doing from Washington. Oh, the other aspect of blue state bailout, or it's, it's not a bailout, but it's a change that Nancy Pelosi is trying to push, the Speaker of the House, Democrat Speaker of the House. She's been saying... Well, this is a time, given all the other challenges these poor Americans have, let's go ahead in the next spending bill and take back the changes in law we did. They call it the SALT tax, the state and local tax deduction limit. And very quickly, all that is, is that in a brilliant stroke of conservatism, the federal government decided when you pay your federal taxes, you used to be able to, to deduct... When you pay your federal taxes, you had a deduction for your entire state tax liability. But this resulted in big government blue state citizens having a much bigger deduction taken out of their federal taxes because they paid those taxes to the state than people who live in red states that are more fiscally responsible. So the change in federal law is to say, you know what, we're just going to put a cap. Above X, you can't deduct any more than X. So even if your state charges you taxes that are more higher than X, that would be your problem, citizen. If you don't like this, press your government, your state government, to reduce taxes. All getting around to saying this coronavirus, which has been really, uh, you know, a, a, just the most amazing um, episode in American history, episode in terms of healthcare, but far more, it has raised many issues and inspired people to really think about what freedom means, to think about why does government get to control what I do, and how much should the federal government be on the hook for decisions state governments are making. It's a great opportunity for conservatives to speak up and say, you know what, we want to go back to work, we want our state to let us go back to work, and when the state figures out they've got no money coming from D.C., they're going to let us go back to work. Those lessons are doubly, triply needed in the big blue states, California being a big one, New York, New Jersey, where the message has to be to those Democrat governors, you're going to own all the damage from the shutdown that you're causing. You're going to economically own it. And I'm going to wrap up today's show by saying this um, before I get to why it matters to you, but I have been, you know, I... Um, didn't happen to support Donald Trump in the primary. I have been, since he came along, became our president, have been so, so grateful for his leadership, so grateful for his strength, so grateful for his agenda, so grateful for his ability to fight against what many Republicans saw for decades. They saw Republicans in Washington capitulating to the left, capitulating to, to Democrats and growing government and growing spending and essentially capitulating to the leftist agenda. So it was really, really a just a, a breath of fresh air for millions of Republicans to have Donald Trump come along and be a guy who doesn't get pushed around by the left, doesn't get pushed around by the media, doesn't get pushed around by all the name calling the media engaged in. So he's done great things in his presidency. He did the got, got us out of the Iranian nuclear deal, terrible deal. We're funding Iran's terrorism. Got us out of the climate change foolishness, the uh, the Paris Accords. He has been 
pushing the bizarre notion that we, because we're a country, we should have an enforceable border. He has withstood the slings and arrows of the left on so many issues and saying, no, we're going to have a border. We're going to enforce the border. We're not going to let caravans just overrun our borders and say, okay, come on, everybody. He, President Trump, has stood strong on issue after issue after issue after issue. He has been a fabulous advocate for conservative ideas. He's been brilliant on religious freedom brilliant on standing up for the rights of religious Americans. He's just been great on so many issues. The Trump agenda is a home run pro-America agenda. The bringing back of jobs here, the rates we had before coronavirus came along, the unemployment rates being so low, we had taxes cut, we had business booming, we had everything going well. This coronavirus has been the biggest single challenge of his presidency the biggest. It is a an effort, it, it, not the virus, but the reaction to the virus has been an effort to undermine him. The Democrat media mob uses everything about the virus as a way to attack President Trump. This is a crucial time we're in right now, a crucial time. We have elections in November. I think there are millions of Americans who supported President Trump, cheered him on, understood he was being attacked falsely in the Mueller, Russia, Trump collusion, witch hunt, understood he was being attacked for not doing nothing at all wrong in the Ukrainian the attempt to impeach him in the Ukrainian deal. But this has been the hardest issue of his presidency because he does feel the idea of needing to help the American people stay safe from a virus. He does want to do that. He also wants to bring back our economy. He took some uninformed advice, bad advice at the beginning of the coronavirus episode when he had the really bad models that came out of England and other places that told him that we had a, a, an impending catastrophic pandemic on our hands unless you moved rapidly and, and really shut down pretty much all of America, which is what happened. We're past that pandemic phase. We're past the shock phase because we now understand that we were grotesquely misinformed about the lethality and the infection rate and all the data we now know have is showing a very different picture. It is really time for the Trump administration to turn the corner and say, okay, we shut down because we got bad information, try to protect America, but we have to fight to protect the American economy because the American economy is the difference between prosperity and poverty. It's the difference between freedom and repression. The American economy, the right of people to work, to earn wages, to bring them home, to put food on the table for their kids. This is as American as July 4th and apple pie. And I think the Trump administration is beginning to see this. We can't stay in pandemic mode forever. We can't stay in panic mode. We've got to turn the corner. I'm very hopeful that Vice President Pence's comment this morning that they're already in talks to disband or dissolve the coronavirus task force, which Vice President Pence headed up. This is a good sign to me. It's a sign that he's recognizing we've got to turn the corner on this. We have to get back to getting the country working. We have to push out entirely to the states the responsibility for the policies they put in place. And then we have to eventually put pressure on those governors to say, ain't no bailout coming from DC governors. You're going to have to fix this. You're going to have to get your, like, get your people back to work. I'm hopeful that's not the course that we were on because it was a very rough patch for the Trump presidency. And there have been many of them but I am hopeful on today's broadcast, where we are now, I'm thinking that in Washington, they're starting to see we cannot stay stuck on the bad policies we created based on the bad data we got. We can move forward. And that is really the message we need to be getting out to America. It's time to move forward. It's time to let free people live. It's time to get this country back to work. And that, my friends, is my show for today, America Can We Talk for Today. At the close of every show, if you listen all the time, you know I do a segment that's called Why It Matters to You. I talk to you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So our very first story today, the virus poll trumps your freedom. A new poll says the majority of Americans think it is too soon to reopen. 
putting aside the strong possibility that the poll is engineered propaganda, which, hey, it's Washington Post, so you know it could be. America is a constitutional republic, not a majority rules democracy. America's constitutional republic protects individual freedoms. The majority is not empowered to take away freedom ever. The poll posits a false narrative that staying home does not, in fact, it, it, I'm sorry, the poll posits a false narrative. The truth is staying home does not equal safety for, and do, does not equal health safety. It never has. Consider the Catholic monks in Dallas, nine infected while living amongst life. Other recluse stories, catching the virus despite isolation. The media has been full of those. Living involves exposure to viruses. There is no avoiding this reality. Viruses must never justify the surrender of American liberty. And our conversation today with Dr. Everett Piper and his thoughts on freedom. Uh, Dr. Piper is a prolific, powerful writer. I really urge you to read his Washington Times columns. I fear death, so take my liberty, was one of the quotes he had, is not aligned with American history or heritage. America's stance, liberty is what makes life worth living. Tyranny is running amok. An Oklahoma mayor bans fishing and visits to your grandma. Only the American people rising up not individual heroic acts by individual politicians can defeat this attack on liberty and overcome the pandemic. We Americans have to speak up and demand our liberty. It's too easy for the politicians to believe they can just guarantee us safety at the expense of our liberty. Our last topic for today, no blue state virus bailouts, decades of fiscal recklessness in blue states, profligate spending, public pensions. We must not must not be bailed out by even more profligate spending at the federal level. Piling fiscal irresponsibility on top of fiscal irresponsibility assures eventual collapse, which has been the design of Cloward Piven and many other leftists forever. President Trump and Congress must stop feeding the delusion of unlimited government stimulus. Government cannot solve everything and take care of everyone. This is the exact opposite of the spirit of make America great again. There should be only one priority, reopen America now. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you?